Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, church family. Mid-January, feels like spring. Could winter be over already? No, not possible. We were driving in the car the other day, coming home from school, just Jade and I, because Reese was homesick, and that's when you get the craziest conversations from the back seat. And she said, Daddy, it's already fall. And I said, well, <laughs> fall comes before winter. We haven't experienced winter yet. But doesn't it feel like that sometimes? The seasons just pass by so quick. Uh, we're kicking off our winter teaching series for the year 2024. And it's in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you want to turn there, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. One of our big hopes for this series is that along with the preaching, teaching, talk time on Sundays, you would take the opportunity to follow the reading reminders and read through the whole book of Ecclesiastes over the next seven weeks. So that's our challenge to you. And then as you read those reading reminders, we'll get together on Sunday and talk about it. And we want you to take the conversation further as with any of these teaching series. Um, So there is a quick discussion guide. This is the smaller version than what we send out to your life group leaders. But if you're in a life group, ask your life group leader, are we gonna be participating in this series this winter from the teaching time on Sundays? If you're not in a life group, grab one of these discussion guides. It's on the the little table we call a credenza out there in the lobby under the TV. Take that with you. Get together with a friend over coffee and chat through some of these questions. Seven weeks, they're all outlined there for you with scripture content. It takes some work, so engage in it. Sound good? All right, are you at Ecclesiastes chapter one? Okay, hopefully by the end of this series, you will not just have read through the book, but you'll gain just a little bit of understanding on how to understand the book and where Solomon is going with his thoughts through the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's read verse one. Chapter one, verse one. We should start with the author, shouldn't we? The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Why don't we start with prayer, actually? Before we start with the author, let's start with prayer. Is that a good idea? Okay. God, we pray for your wisdom and direction through this book. It is a complicated book, and I'm feeling the weight of that as we start off this winter teaching series. So would you guide and direct us, Father? Would your Holy Spirit illuminate these scriptures to our mind and to our heart? Help us to understand your word for us today. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the wisdom of Solomon. Thank you for the conversations that we're going to engage in. Father, we pray that you would build faith through this experience, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The teacher and the king. Kind of seems like two characters are being presented here, isn't it? The, The book never comes right out and says, this is Solomon. But it does say the king in Jerusalem, the son of David, and most commentators will agree This is most likely, probably, King Solomon, based on a number of different factors. But the term preacher here kind of has this dual meaning. In the Hebrew, it means a person who assembles a group of people 
or a person who gets up in front of an assembly and teaches a group of people. And Solomon was known for this, not just as king, but as somebody who assembled the group of people and taught a group of people. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12, if you want to jump down. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So here he says it again. He's the preacher or teacher, that Hebrew term koleth. Not quite sure how you, you enunciate that term. He's the preacher or the teacher, but he's also the king. It's kind of this dual meaning. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a king, wouldn't you lead with that? Hey, I'm Josh. I'm, I'm the king. That also goes to illustrate, you should never just take one portion of the Bible, one little verse, and take it out of context, because if you just play that one little video clip from YouTube for a friend, probably wouldn't work that well. But wouldn't you lead with king if you were a king? Why does he lead with preacher and teacher? There's almost this, this dual character thing going on that we're going to trace through the book. It's like Solomon is taking on this role of preacher, this character, this teacher, and as we see through the book, it's almost as if he's going to play the devil's advocate. He's going to say, now, now, let's ask this hypothetical question. What if there was no God? Then how do we answer this? He kind of plays the devil's advocate. He comes at it from the flip side of the coin. But he's also the king. There's these two characters, and we'll trace that as we go through the book. Now, um, Solomon is known as the preacher, the teacher. It's not uncommon to Solomon's reign. People would travel from all around to hear his wisdom. Steve talked about Solomon's gift of wisdom last Sunday, 1 Kings chapter 3. He asked God, would you give me wisdom so that I can rule your people well? You remember that? 1 Kings chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 16. Solomon, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Solomon used his wisdom to rule the people well, but he also used his wisdom to teach. 1 Kings chapter 4, let me read this for you, verse 34. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 24. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Solomon was a great king. There was incredible prosperity in the land of Israel during Solomon's reign. He built the temple for God that his father, King David, had wanted to construct and collected all the materials for. Solomon was the one to actually do it. He experienced so much prosperity. He was a great king. He ruled over Israel well, but it was his wisdom and his teaching that he was known worldwide for. He was world famous. That second verse that I read, 1 Kings 10, 24, the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. So do you see this picture? Solomon's not just known as king, but he's known as a very wise teacher who people would travel from miles and miles to come, gather in an assembly, and hear him teach the gift of wisdom that God had given him. So you see these two characters of Solomon? Great king and a great teacher. 
And he's going to play off those as we go through the book. Here's what I want to suggest. Hopefully this is helpful. Uh, Tim Mackey pointed this out to me. He's, he's the voice on the Bible Project. If you watch those on YouTube, if you check that out at all, they go through the Bible. He has a PhD in Semitic languages, so he's a pretty smart guy when it comes to Hebrew. He suggests these two characters presented in Ecclesiastes, and I think we need to grasp this to understand the book. King Solomon, the teacher, and then King Solomon, the king. We're going to see it as we go through. Solomon introduces the teacher here in the first verse. We go through the book, you're going to see this teacher, this cynical, jaded, cut-by-the-world teacher. He questions everything. You'll see Solomon clarify some of the meaning for this character, the teacher, and point it back to hope. And we're going to get there by the end of this sermon today. Verse 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity. It's the Hebrew word hevel. And it's a key word throughout the book. We should catch this as well because it's going to keep coming up. Some various translations translated as meaningless, vain, absolutely futile, pointless. Absolutely futile and pointless. That's kind of cynical and jaded, isn't it? We've titled this series, What's the Point? The term Hebel can also mean vapor or breath, smoke. You know that verse in James chapter 4, what is your life? Your life is but a vapor, a mist, a fog, the steam that rises off the kettle. Here it is and then it's gone. Job talks about his life as being but a breath. It's so brief. The brevity of life, it's just so short, so quick. Just a brief smoke that rises up. Hebel. Now, part of the understanding of this verse is not that everything is totally meaningless. There is some substance there. There is substance to vapor. It is water in gaseous form, right? I think. Any scientists in the room? So there is something there. It's just hard to catch it. It's hard to grasp. There is meaning in this life. It's just hard to find. One moment you think you've got a handle on it, I think I know what this life is all about, and then it just slips through your fingers, and it's hard to understand the meaning of life. The book of Ecclesiastes is, it's like this collection of memoirs from the wisest man who ever lived, and he asks the question over and over again, what's the point? Why? Isn't that a good place to start? So often we don't bother asking that important question of why, and we just do the things we do, and we get a ways down the road, and then we turn around and say, wait a second, <laughs> why am I doing this? Why am I spending all my time doing this? Wouldn't it be so much more helpful if we started with the why question? Why should I do that? Okay, I have a good reason, therefore I will. Isn't that a better approach to life? Why? What's the point? All right, let's get into the real teaching spirit, shall we? I uh, 
Got a little paper easel up here. I don't think I've used this up here before. I got some markers. I test them out to make sure they work. All right, verse, verse three. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Does it ever feel like in your job, you know, you, you wake up on Monday, you go to work, first break comes, and then you get to lunch, and you look at your clock, and it's almost quitting time, and you get a nice supper, and then you go to bed, and you wake up the next day and go to work and come home and go to bed, and you get up the next day and go to work and come home and... But then it's the weekend, right? Oh, thank goodness for the weekend. But then Monday comes, and it's back to work. You know what I'm talking about? You ever experienced that? Verse 4. I'd... Marker jumped right out of my hand. A generation comes and a generation goes. You know, I dropped my kids off at the Christian school in Truro. I'm going to do it tomorrow morning. I'm going to drop them off. And they're going to walk by my grad picture in the hallways of that school that my kids are now students in. And they're going to walk past... Elsie's aunt's grad picture and my uncle and aunt's grad picture, three generations over and over. And I'm going to see friends there that I had in high school who are now dropping their kids off at the school. And around it, round it goes. The next generation is forgotten. Verse five, the sun rises, thank goodness for a new day, but then the sun sets. And then the sun rises, and then the sun sets, and it rises again, and it sets, and it goes around and around and around and around. Do you know, in these days, in the winter, it feels even faster, because the days are shorter, and as soon as that sun rises, it's 1.30 in the afternoon, and it's already setting, <laughs> and all the daylight is gone, and you got to wait for the next day to get any work done around the yard. Have you experienced that at all? The wind blows to the south and then to the north and it goes around and returns to the place from whence it came. Have you noticed how much wind we've been getting? The wind last night, just incredible, just roaring through and spinning around and where does it all come from? And you finish one storm and they're talking about the next one coming up the coast. You notice that? Verse 7. All the streams run into the sea, but the rivers never seem to stop flowing and the rain never seems to stop falling. Wasn't that a lot of rain last night? And it just keeps coming. And every time I drive past Elm River, it's still flowing and flowing. And the tides come in and the tides go out. And we love to make sandcastles in the summer. And one of my goals is to build a sandcastle big enough so when the tide comes in and the tide comes out, there's still a remnant there. You know what I'm talking about? But every 12 hours, that tide comes in and that tide goes out. Verse eight, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. There's always gonna be more to see. And the ear, I like how it says it, the ear is never full of hearing. 
There's always more things to hear. There's always more to see and hear on the news. There's always more videos being posted on YouTube. And there's always more content and books published and articles. And there's always more to talk about. There's always more to see. There's always more to hear. What has been is what will be. Verse 9. Here's the cynicism. Nothing changes, it's all the same. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. It's just the same old cycle round and round and round and round. Do you ever get tired of the mundane routine of life? Just the same thing. Over and over. Verse 10. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this is new? It's already been in the ages before us. There's nothing new. What was hip and trendy and fashionable in the 90s is now what everybody's wearing and styling their hair like today. If you hold on to it long enough, it will be new again. (laughs) Won't it? There is no remembrance of former things. It's all forgotten. Nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. That became tragic real quick, didn't it? What's the point? R.C. Sproul is is a Reformed theologian, a brilliant mind, and he, he was demonstrating this as he was speaking through this chapter. Humanism. You know, we we don't need anything supernatural. To understand the meaning of life, we just need the here and now, the human existence, the physical experience. We can figure out what life is all about just in the physical. Secularism, we don't need a God. We don't need some outside force to come in and tell us our meaning. We can figure out meaning right here ourselves. And we go around and around the circle. Solomon is painting a picture of life on this earth, life under the sun. Life on this earth, this this big spinning rock that travels through time and space, here's what life looks like on the sun. And, And he's playing the devil's advocate. He's asking these cynical and jaded questions with this voice. If this is all there is, if there is no God, if there is no heaven, if there is nothing more than this, then what's the point? Isn't that the reality of a circle? It literally has no point. Round and around and around. And what is it all for? If we're just on this spinning rock, watching the sun rise, watching the rain fall, watching the wind blow, then what's the point? Where's the meaning? Where do you find purpose? What you do has been done before and it'll be forgotten after you. So what's the point of doing anything of significance? We stand back, we watch the sun rise and we say, wow, that's beautiful. We see the tide come in and we see the tide go out and we think, wow, that's powerful. We see a a new baby and we say, wow, that's amazing. Where's the meaning? If this is all there is, then what's the point? A brand new day. To do what? Something that doesn't matter? Something that'll be forgotten? Something that will be erased by time. 
It just feels like circles. It just feels like mundane. It just feels like routine. It just feels like the same thing day in and day out. And as I was thinking about this series and thinking about this title, What's the Point? I thought about how many people are going to be on Google this week typing in, what is the point? And maybe, just maybe, this video will pop up, this series This book of Ecclesiastes, these discussions we're having, one of you will bump into them and you'll say, it's interesting you asked that question because my church family and I, my life group and I, my friends and I, we're having this conversation right now. And it's so true, isn't it? Maybe you can play the devil's advocate a little bit. What is the point? If this is all there is, everything you build, the rain, the sea, the wind, the sun, it's all going to deteriorate. It's not going to stand the test of time. After you go, eventually you will be forgotten. What is the point? Day comes, day goes. A generation comes, a generation goes. But let me tell you, there is a point. And I just want to say, if you're here in the room today, if you're participating online, or maybe it's months down the road and you snag this video on YouTube or your friend shares it on Facebook, I just want to say there is incredible meaning and purpose in this life. But you will never find it apart from God. Never, ever, 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 ever. I've never done much of a morning commute because where we lived in New Brunswick, we were like four minutes drive from the church facility. So All the people who lived in those suburbs outside of St. John would hop in their vehicles, drive up the road, pull onto the highway, head into their jobs in St. John. And I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that because I'd walk to the church facility or bike there or drive there in four minutes. But when we moved to Nova Scotia, we spent some time at my parents' house while we were looking for a home, middle of COVID, and driving from the other side of Truro into the church facility here, I got to see some of the daily commute, and it blew my mind. Have you ever paid attention to this? You get in your car, you pull out the driveway, you notice other neighbors are getting into their cars, pulling out their driveways. And then you all make your way down to the stop sign, and maybe you're in front, or maybe you're behind, maybe there's some other vehicles, and you pull out onto the main road, and there's more people already on the main road, and they're all traveling in the same stream. And then some will go in towards Truro, some will cross over to Bible Hill. Some people I would follow or would follow me all the way out to the highway and valley, and then start heading down the divided highway towards Great Village. And every stop you took, every turn you took, there were more people who would travel into that flow. And I started looking at, do you ever look at people as you pass them on the highway? It's kind of fun. You should do it. And I had this thought come over my mind, like, I've never seen that person in my life. I don't know their name. I don't know their story. I don't know where they come from, don't know where they're going, don't know their job, don't know their kids, don't know their family, don't know their hopes and dreams for life. I don't know them from Adam. And they, if they turned and looked at me as they drove by, would probably say the same thing. I don't know that guy. But yet we all have these lives that flow into these streams and out and then back and we follow this routine and and we're kind of stuck on this hamster wheel doing the same thing round and round, side by side. We don't know each other. I started thinking about ants as I was doing that morning commute. 
You know how ants, they all come out of the same hole and then they all spread out, grab their little leaf or twig or whatever and then jump back in line and then follow the line all the way back? And I started thinking like, how insignificant are our lives and our routines if not but for God? We're all just doing the same thing, stuck on the same wheel, going to a similar job for a similar paycheck to buy similar groceries, to live in a similar house over and over and over, day in and day out. What's the point? I don't know what you think about on your morning commute, but those are the kind of thoughts that come to my mind. Verse 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I have seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, it is all vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I'm looking for Brian Bird. Is Brian Bird here today? No. Not here today? Oh, you have to show him this later. Brian, this one's for you. Do you know what this is called? Pinwheel. I could not think of that name for the life of me. I've been searching for one of these for a while, and I ended up having to make one. And it doesn't spin real good, because I think I used a lock washer instead of uh, the proper part there. But I looked around, and you know they don't sell these things this time of year. This is more like an Easter summer thing, apparently. And I didn't know what to call it, so I called it a whirly gig. Do you know what a whirly gig is? Why is that so funny? I thought that's what it was called. So even this week, I went into Dollarama, and there was a poor gentleman there. Um, I think he's relatively new in immigrating to Canada, so there was a little bit of a language cultural barrier there, and I said, I'm looking for a whirly gig. <laughs> and he just looked at me like I had two heads, and I, I tried to explain, you know, it's like a windmill, but it's not, and he's like, what's it for? And I'm like, I really don't know. I don't, I don't think it really has a purpose. It just spins and, you know, kids play with it. And he's like, a yo-yo. No, not a yo-yo, but kind of like a yo-yo. And this is a pinwheel, right? That's the name? Okay. Do you ever call it wind catcher? Is that a different thing? No? Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Kids play with this. Look, if I, if I get enough airflow, look at that. It spins. Huh? Kind of. <laughs> oh, you're just making fun of me at this point, aren't you? It's kind of fun, isn't it? Wayne, I don't, I don't have time to make everybody one. I can't do this. This is version four. But it's kind of fun, isn't it? It's kind of satisfying when it blows in the wind. You need a lot of wind to make it blow. And kids play with these, right? They run around, they blow in the wind. Um, the whirly gig is the one that you put in the garden that has like a man, like a man and a donkey and the donkey's kicking. You know, you know, yeah, you know those ones. It keeps the crows away or it's like a nice lawn decoration. I don't know. Uh, but here's where I'm going with this. Do you know how hard it is to grasp the wind? And you can run around your whole life. But as soon as you stop, there's nothing there. 
I haven't actually caught any wind. You can, you can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind, right? What is wind? Air moving? Right, so how, how do you capture moving air? Once, once you capture the movement of the air, it ceases to be wind, doesn't it? We're getting a little philosophical with that, a little too far. It's hard to grasp the wind. So many of us, Spend so much of our days thinking we've got a handle on the wind, right? And then when we really stop and think about it, oh, there's not much there, is it? It's just a piece of my daughter's craft paper folded up with a little nail. What's the point? What's the point? What you have done before will be forgotten. What's the point? I, I thought about a weather vane as well. A weather vane has a little more purpose to it, right? Like it shows the direction of the wind. Like a wind sock at the airport, it, it catches a bit of the wind and as it's blowing, it's held up and the planes know which direction and the force of the landing or whatnot. I really don't know what they use it for, but air turbines, yeah, yeah. Harnessing the power of the wind, the energy of the wind. Wind. Um, back in ancient days, this was, this was technologically advanced to try and harness the power of the wind. You can think of sailing vessels, right? They put up this big sail, catches the wind, moves this massive vessel across the water. Or ancient architecture. You can look this up when you get home. You can look up wind catcher and it'll show you a tower, a stone tower connected to these ancient buildings and ancient ruins in the Middle East. And the design of this tower was that the openings at the top would be facing towards the cooler prevailing winds would catch the cooler wind as it came in. It would be high enough to stay away from the dust and debris of the street. And it would draw that cool air in to the building as like an ancient form of air conditioning. So this, this, this uh, technological phenomenon of trying to harness the power of the wind was a real active one in Solomon's day. So he uses that picture trying to catch the wind. You can't see the wind you can only see the effects of the wind. But this picture ties in with hebel, vanity, a breath, a vapor, air, meaningless. There is a point, it's just hard to grasp, but there's definitely a point. There's so many questions in this life that don't have completely satisfactory answers. The reality of Ecclesiastes, this is where we're going to end. We're going to have to be content with that. This is the struggle of this wisdom literature that Steve talked about last week. Absolute truth. General truth. Special revelation. General revelation. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. So where's the first place Solomon attempts to catch the wind? Chapter 2. Chapter 2, here's where he tries to find purpose in this life. He says in verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test pleasure. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Do you catch the past tense nature of how he said this? I said to myself, but behold, this was all vanity. He's talking about past experience. 
It's like he's giving testimony. It's like, hey, in my younger years, I was trying to figure out what this life was all about. And here's one of the places that I tried to find meaning. So he's got King Solomon here who's, who's writing this book through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's stepping back in time as this younger version of himself trying to find meaning in life. I said to myself, pleasure, let's try it out. How many of us spend our days right here? TGIF, YOLO, living for the weekend, living for the next vacation. We subconsciously adopt all of these cultural mantras. Our, our society has quickly become all about feelings. What makes you feel good? Do what makes you feel good. Oh, that doesn't make you feel good? Avoid it like the plague. Chase after this because it makes you feel good. Pleasure. And we've latched onto that. What feels good? Isn't that the parable Jesus tells of the rich farmer? You know, he had this amazing crop. So he says to himself, what am I going to do? Here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my old barns and I'll build big new barns in which to store all the harvest. And then I will say to myself, self, you have so many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry. Isn't that like Jesus' parable of the prodigal son? He goes to his dad and says, hey, give me my portion of the inheritance. And he goes off and he spends it on riotous living. Just a big party. What happened? For the rich man, his life came to an end. For the prodigal son, his money came to an end, which meant the party came to an end, which meant the friends came to an end, which meant the good feeling and the purpose and the meaning that he thought he had found just floated away like the wind. You realize that's not what life's all about. Pleasure, pleasure. If it feels good, do it. Solomon tried that out. Here's where Solomon found pleasure. Look at this list. It's a pretty impressive list. Verse two, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? Think about laughter, comedy. One of the comedians I've really enjoyed, but in latter years, he's become a little more vulgar in his specials that he's put out, Jim Gaffigan. He's got some hilarious jokes about food, and we got to go see him a number of years back at the Metro Center in Halifax, the Scotiabank Center. And we sat there, the place was packed, how many people does that hold? Like 11,000, 10,000 people? All fixated on this one balding gentleman on the stage with a spotlight and a microphone. For over an hour, we just sat there and everybody was glued to his word. And it was hilarious. He put on a great show. How many laughs? Laughter feels good, doesn't it? Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart doeth good like medicine, laughter. How many laughs? But the laughs only last so long. Jump to verse three. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly foolishness. 
till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. You've seen beer commercials on TV, haven't you? It's so much less about the beer, isn't it? It's not really about the product. It's about the party. It's not about the alcohol. It's about the experience, right? And they have women on screen and they have humor on screen and they have parties on screen because that's what they're trying to sell you. It's not really about the alcohol. It's about the good time, the pleasure. Verse 4, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools for which to water the forest of growing trees. Solomon planted so many fruit trees that he could call it a forest, a grove, some versions say. That's a big garden. That's a big park. And then how to water it, this whole watering system. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. That's a whole nother conversation about slavery in the Old Testament and why does it seem to be allowed. God never says that you can keep slaves. In fact, God has a whole lot of laws to protect and speak to those slaves, improve their situations. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delights of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all those who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. If it looked good, he did it. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. You see how Solomon justifies this experience, this experiment? I work hard, so I play hard. Big toys for big boys, right? I think of so much of the Stuff campaign from fall of 2022. If stuff is good, then why not more? And more? And more and more and more. Just more stuff. Won't that fill the void? Won't that bring true meaning to my life? Just more. I just need a little more. Whatever Solomon wanted, he took. Women, slaves, alcohol, gardens, pools, buildings, parties. But it was never enough. Never enough. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expected, expended in doing it. Behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. You know, it's fun to run around with a pinwheel, right? But the moment you stop, it stops. And there's nothing to show. There's no substance. There's nothing there. But as long as the party's happening, it's enjoyable, right? But then when it gets quiet and everybody's gone home and the alcohol has worn off and you're just laying alone in your bed at night, it's kind of lonely, empty, meaningless. What's the point? What is the point of pleasure? A lot of energy has been expended. A lot of work has been done. A lot of running around with the pinwheel for what? 
what has been gained. The more pleasure you'll pursue, the more you'll have to pursue. One laugh is no longer enough, now you need two. One drink is no longer enough, now you need three. One relationship doesn't seem to be satisfying, so now I need a few more on the side. One project's not enough. One party's not enough. One paycheck isn't enough. I think of The Greatest Showman, right? It's never enough. You know that song? Keeps playing in my head as I was studying this morning. The pleasure in this world never has enough to offer you to satisfy the longing in your soul. There is not enough pleasure in this world to speak to the longing in your soul. Solomon says, look, let me save you a lot of time. Let me save you a lot of energy. Let me save you a lot of money. Let me save you a lot of broken relationships and burned out brain cells. There is not enough pleasure in this world to fill the longing in your soul. There will never be enough pleasure under the sun to satisfy the longing in your soul. He says, I've tried it. I've done it all. There is nothing that I saw. There was no commercial on TV that I saw that said, hey, this is what you need that I didn't try. I did it all. I did it to the nth degree. Do you know how many wives and concubines I had? The Bible later says that all of Solomon's foreign wives drew his heart away from his God. It was wrong. He went after pleasure, trying to find meaning, and he got to the very end of it all. He says, further than anybody before me, I've done more than any king in Jerusalem before me, and I found it was all empty. It was meaningless. At the end of the party, I just needed another party. At the end of the drink, I just needed another drink. At the end of the laugh, I just needed another laugh. Just needed more and more and more and more and more. This is not a parent telling a child they're not allowed to have fun. This is an older man who has lived it up. Treasure, accomplishments, fame, celebrity. And his desire is to help you understand that the point of this life is not pleasure. Can never be pleasure. There isn't enough under this sun. Continuing in chapter two, let me condense it for you for the sake of time. Solomon reiterates his big purpose for this book, grappling with the meaning of life in the lens of wisdom and folly, chasing after foolishness to try and find meaning, but in his wisdom, knowing that will never be enough. He says in verse 14, the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool is blind, walking around in darkness. Fool doesn't understand, can't see. The wise can see. Wisdom helps us to see the truth in our experience. The meaning in our reality of life on this earth. It's like a light is flicked on and we can see and understand a little more about our existence. But there's this duality of, of wisdom. Understanding truth but struggling to see the purpose in our existence. Sometimes understanding more about the world brings more questions than answers to our mind, doesn't it? You watch the news, you watch the weather, you read some of the conversations that happen on social media. 
the more you know, the more you experience, the more conversations you engage in, the more questions you have. Have you noticed that? Is it part of this endless cycle? The more I know, the less I know. I remember when I was in youth group in high school, Pastor Bruce Steves said, hey, for summer, we're going to do something creative. You can ask me any question you want, and I'll do my best to answer it. It starts in a few weeks' time, so come up with your best questions. We're going to call it Stump the Youth Pastor. See if you can come up with questions hard enough that I have no answer for. And if I don't have an answer, we'll try and find somebody who does. We'll bring them out to youth group and we'll have a conversation. I thought it was a really cool idea. So two weeks go by. We show up at our first youth night of the summer. We have an activity, we have a snack, and then Bruce sits us all down. And he says, okay, you've had a few weeks to think about this. I'm really excited to hear all of your questions Let's see if you can stump me. The questions can be anything about life, relationships, the Bible, church, family, career, what you're studying in school, whatever you want. There's nothing off the table. What would you want to ask? What do you think happened? Crickets. Absolute crickets. We didn't have any questions. You know what? If I could go back... 20 some odd years, I'd have some questions. But isn't that ironic, given the fact that I know more now, I've been to school, got a bachelor's degree, had some experience, have a family, started raising some kids, worked a few careers since then. Like, why do I have more questions now than I did when I was 13? Have you found that? The, the more you know, the more you search, the more you study, the more you read, the more you listen, the more you see, the more you hear, the more questions we seem to have about this life, don't we? You found that to be true. I think I'm wiser now than I was in youth group. I think. But I have so many more difficult questions about life than I did back then. What's that all about? Solomon says there is a pain in knowledge. There's a wearisome wondering in wisdom. Knowledge and experience bring a lot of responsibility and weight. Have you ever felt the burden of knowing? I remember when I was young and super naive, even more so than I am now, and I was in this counseling situation with somebody and they said, look, I just got to share this thing with you about so-and-so. And I thought, oh, here's my chance. You know, I can cut that gossip right off. And, and I, I said, how did I phrase it? I'm kind of going off script here. I said, is this, like, is this something I need to know? Is this something I'm going to want to hear? Like, I remember going like this, like, do I really need to hear this? And it really hurt that person that I was not willing to open up and hear their struggle. And in my naivety, I thought I was doing the right thing. Like, oh, no, uh. 
and I realized, because I thought I understood the weight of knowing, like, oh, I don't want to know that about that person, you know, I don't want to look at them differently. But the reality of life is we understand that we're all human, we're all broken, there is so much mess. Alex was talking about being in a family means there is some mess. And anytime you gather a group of people together, there is brokenness, there is suffering, there is difficulty, there are hard, hard questions. And grappling with that reality is difficult. Solomon says there's a pain in knowledge. Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 22. What has a man gained from all the toil, all the striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? All his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. That's a vocab word we should add. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. Have you ever experienced anxiety in the night? As you lay on your bed and you just go through everything that happened that day. Don't weird thoughts come to mind when you're lying in your bed in the middle of the night in the dark? You start thinking about things from like seven years ago and it's like, whoa, I hope I didn't say the wrong thing to that person. It's like, where did that thought come from? More stuff more worries and cares. More pleasure, more party, more experiences, more alcohol, and then you're lying in bed at night and the mind won't stop. Anxious, wrestling thoughts. What's the point? What's the meaning behind all this? Do I really wrestle with this and try and figure it out or do I just drown it with another laugh, another party, another drink? Another retail therapy session, retail shopping therapy session. See if that numbs the pain. Do life's big questions keep you up at night? Verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Catch this part. This also... I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, verse 25, who can eat? Who can have enjoyment? You know what he was implying there? If God didn't create it, if God didn't give it, if he's not a good father who gives good gifts to his children, then there's nothing in this life to enjoy. If but for God. Verse 26, for the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. I think of that rich farmer. You see, Solomon knows, as he's writing this later on in life, he knows there is more beyond the sun. There is more than this life has to offer. Solomon is showing us how he came to this conclusion. Here's one of the things I tried, pleasure. There was nothing there. I had to realize that every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father. And the only reason we get to experience any pleasure or enjoyment or good thing in this life is only because of him. There is more than this spinning rock around the sun in a mundane, routine cycle. Look, this changes everything. When you believe that there is a God, 
It literally gives a point to this mundane circle round and round the sun. Because when you believe in a God, you believe that there is a God who is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, who changes not. God created everything we see. The reason we get to experience pleasure and good things in this life, God could have created a black and white, tasteless existence with no music, no color, nothing of enjoyment. But instead, he created this life that we get to enjoy. We get to see the sunrise because God said, let there be light. We get to enjoy good food because God made the trees. That one tried to jump out of my hand too. God made the trees to produce good food. We get to enjoy relationships because God took the rib from man and created Eve, called her woman and brought her to the man. We get to experience all of the good things in life literally because God made a point to it all. And our lives, the time that we have, are not this mundane routine cycle round and round and round, but literally, as we're going to talk about next week, there is an appointed time at which our life begins and an appointed time at which our life ends. And one of the themes throughout this book is the judgment of God on our lives. We're going to experience this life Sometimes it'll seem like this mundane cycle round and round doing the same thing over and over. But in the end, God is going to judge the living and the dead. And the big question is going to be, what is your life? Where is your life? Where have you found the purpose and the meaning in your life? And the only satisfactory answer is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God literally makes a point to our existence and breaks this mundane, meaningless cycle. And we get to enjoy pleasure and enjoy the good things this life has to offer, understanding that it's only from the hand of a good God. We got a lot more tough questions coming up. I'm excited for next week as we talk about time and we talk about relationships. Please grab this discussion guide. This sermon is not meant to be the be-all, end-all on the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to study this out and discuss it for yourself. All right? Would you stand with me as we close today? Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of life. And it is only an understanding that everything we have and enjoy and the life and the breath in our lungs and our consciousness is all because of you. Thank you for creating this life, this earth, these people, the sun that rises and sets, the wind that comes and goes, the waters that flow. God, thank you for the good things in this life that we get to enjoy only from your hand. You are a good God, and you've given good gifts to your children. God, would you remind us that every time we get to experience a little bit of enjoyment and laughter, and pleasure, and good food in this life, that we point the gratitude back to you. Thank you, God. Thank you for every good thing we experience in this life.
God, as we talk through this series about the difficulties in life, the hard things, the broken relationships, the, the places where we've searched for meaning and have come up short, God, would it also remind us that you are good and ultimately you have a purpose, you have a plan. And in finding a dead end or a broken road or a broken relationship, it should point us back to you because nothing in this life will ultimately satisfy our souls except you. Thank you, God, for stepping into our mundane existence here on this earth and providing the way for us to have a relationship with you, to know and understand true meaning and purpose in this life. Thank you, God. Thank you that we're not running mindless on a hamster wheel day in and day out with no point, no purpose, no future, no hope. But thank you, God, that because you live, we can face tomorrow. Life is really worth the living because you live. Thank you, God. Help us to find our living and our moving and our being only in you. God, I pray for this series through this winter. I pray for those who have questions, who have doubts, who are trying to figure out what life is all about. Would you encourage them by the power of your spirit to lean into this? Really consider the meaning of life. God, give them the courage to admit if they come to that dead end in their search for meaning. God, I pray that you would meet them there. Shine your light into their darkness, Father. For those of us who have made a decision, who know you, who know your Son as our personal Lord and Savior, who would claim to be Christians, little Christ's disciples, following after you, would you help us not to get caught up again in running on this wheel, trying to do it in our own strength, living life as if we don't have a purpose and a meaning and a mission that you've called us to. Help us to get off that routine cycle and to point people in your direction. God, help us to wake up to the reality that you've called us to, Father. God, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for this church family here. In Jesus' name, amen.